When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, a typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You are listening to Something Rather Than Nothing. Creator and host, Ken Vellante. Editor and producer, Peter Bauer. We are here with Dangwala Lekapachuta, and uh, she is an artist, a photographer, videographer um, in Portland, Oregon. Uh, she's the creative director for the Heart uh, Creative. And Dangwala, I just want to introduce you to the audience and thank you for joining Something Rather Than Nothing podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, great. I'm going to launch right into it. Um, first question we ask uh, is, uh, what were you like as uh, as a young as a young child? Uh, really, really shy. Uh, I was really sensitive and also kind of a a little adult um, at parties and whatnot. I usually preferred to hang out with the adults. You know, stick to my mom and her friends. Uh, and she was actually a teacher. Um, she taught at the school I attended back home in Lithuania at some point and I'd like go to her classroom on breaks and have tea with her and her teacher friends. <laughs> so in hindsight, that's super embarrassing and it was probably really annoying, but yeah, throughout my life, I've of course had friends my own age, but I always kind of connected to people, you know, with more experience and hopefully more wisdom. And it, it always felt more comfortable to me, um, to be around adults um and again just really really shy and timid i found that um, folks that i've known have been greatly influenced i mean if they did gravitate towards just older generations whether it's their parents or or grandparents um they definitely they definitely have a, a different outlook that they've uh developed and it's it's a it's it's a noticeable it's it's a noticeable development do you think do you think that's had, uh, I mean, have you noticed that and maybe in conversations with others, maybe it's impact on what you do or your art or how you are as a person? Um, I think people like that tend to age backwards. So the older you get, the less you care and the more <laughs> yeah. you take and the more out there you are, I think. Um, at least that's been my experience. I feel like, um, Aging backwards is definitely a thing among people who um, were kind of old souls from the beginning and very shy. So what um, did you, from an early age, did you gravitate towards any forms of art? Did you ever identify yourself as an artist? Were you around artists? Um, what, you know, where, where, where did that emerge? Did it, was it right from the get-go? 
Yeah, um, definitely. When I was a little kid, I took to drawing and painting um, very quickly. Um, my older sister was into it, and I think I naturally just kind of followed in her footsteps. And we um, we did a lot of drawing and arts and crafts when we were kids. And I never thought much of it. I thought that's what everybody did with their older siblings, you know. And did you, so you mentioned painting and did you do like illustration? I mean, did you read a lot of books? Were those some of the influences? Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, definitely read a lot of books. Um, She used to play school with me when I was a kid. So she'd, um, you know, set up a little desk and play teacher and I would um, learn to read and we read together and drew together. And that's um, actually learn how to read by the age of four. And I think it was just because that's how my sister and I interacted. And um, she's, she was really creative as a child herself. So I think that um, really set me off on the path that I've pursued. So Dangwala, um, I had mentioned at the beginning, um, you know, uh, you specifically list yourself as, you know, working in photography and videography. Um, and creative director for Heart Creative. Can can you explain a little bit more some of the some of the work that you do, and basically, you know, just some of your general approach to um, when you're looking to create? Um, yes. Yeah, so um, Heart Creative is my day job, and we're a small-ish but quickly growing uh, women-owned creative agency. Uh, We have a specific focus on food and beverage, so we develop recipes, shoot photo and video, manage social media, and more, kind of all marketing under one roof. Um, So my team creates the art, which is photography, stop-motion video, fluid motion video. Um, And then in my personal life, I I do like to create work for myself. I really haven't had much time to do that lately, but... Um, that is the majority of how I express myself these days is through photo and sometimes video. And so one of the things I've seen in, in been around, I've talked about in, in previous episodes is how important it's been for me. Um, you know, haven't spent time, uh, lived, uh, lived near Portland, uh, visited and experienced a lot of art there. Uh, one of the things I really enjoy, whether it's like arts and crafts, is is the there's so much creativity and expression uh, that I see uh, in Portland. Um, how does that impact uh, what you do? I mean, do you find it as vibrant uh, an atmosphere as as I just described? I definitely do. Yeah, that's what drew me to Portland when I moved here in 2014. Um, everybody seemed to be creating something and it was a very collaborative process where, you know, maybe you don't have the money to fund your work, but you talk to somebody who can help you fill some of those gaps. And it's just a very collaborative, organic sort of mechanism. Um, and I basically broke into the creative industry by just talking to people who are creating things and, Um, It just happened very organically. Um, I was working at a distillery doing farmer's markets just because I thought it would be fun. And um, I was really passionate about, you know, craft spirits and cocktails. And it was just something to kind of 
um, get me through until I figured out what I wanted to do next. And I, you know, met people at farmer's markets that were doing cool things that wanted some help with photography and recipe development and writing. So it just happened very organically. And I don't think that could have happened anywhere else that I've lived or experienced. Portland's really special for sure. How much of that did you know before going there? Um, some, um, I had started a food blog, um, in 2010 or something like that. Um, and it was really just a way for me to be creative and develop photography and develop a writing style. Um, at the time I was working at the state legislature in Carson city. So I was a paralegal and editor, um, writing and editing legislation all day long, which was great and interesting, but not ultimately what I wanted to do. So I just started this little project um, as a creative outlet because I, I was bored and needed something to devote my creative energy to. Um, and it just sort of grew from there. Um, eventually, I started getting freelance work for writing and for photography. Um, and it was sort of enough to um, help me as I moved to Portland and basically started over again. And you, you had mentioned, um, you had mentioned that Heart uh, Creative is a woman-owned uh, enterprise. How important is that? Uh, is is that for for you and 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 for your colleagues that work there? It definitely creates a different environment than I than I have ever experienced. Um, it's just very collaborative, very sort of warm. Um, and it's very much focused on, you know, making money, but we have to take care of our community. We have to take care of each other. Um, and I don't know that that's unique to a woman-owned business. Uh, I'm sure there are plenty of um, businesses owned by men doing the right thing. But um, I definitely felt very at home there from the get-go. And I really, really like my team. I think I think it's a really great thing, and I think uh, part of it is when I've interviewed guests is you know is 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 part of it is my questions are about them and like where they're you know being compelled to create art and and to be creative, but also understanding a lot of time that that interacts so heavily with the environment, um, you know, the environment that you're in, whether it's the city or whether it's the particular, you know, industry or whether you're freed up to work on your art or you do it as, uh, as a hobby. I find it that it, it tends to be so important going back to um yourself um and and i i alluded to uh this is you know whether it sounds like when you're younger you had a, a drive or was both within the environment that you were uh was a creative environment but the question is this is um what why do you create or why do you feel that you create um it's just really fun um I find that I just like the idea of mastering something, um, whether it's bread making or caring for a particular, you know, kind of house plant or, you know, fixing a car. Um, I just like the idea of 
starting from zero and growing something into a thing that you're proud to show off. Like I started trying to take star photos about five and a half years ago, right before I moved from Nevada, which is, you know, one of the best places to do it. Um, and the first time I got the faintest dots in the viewfinder, um, that was super exhilarating, even though, you know, it was objectively shitty star photography. <laughs> <laughs> so I've gotten to a place with it. Um, and Oregon's a great place for it too, to be clear, um, where I've come a really long way with that. And while I still do it, and if an opportunity arises to do it, I'm happy to move on to other things because I really feel like, you know, I took it from zero to a place where I feel really good about it and I feel really good about sharing it. And I saw I saw some of those and 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 I really noticed them and and enjoyed them and I I I adore outer space. I've you know a side hobby of mine has been trying to figure out you know what it is and and studying without the math uh, things like quantum <laughs> yeah. mechanics and and astrophysics because I can I can't navigate the formulas or or yeah. I don't remember being able to navigate the formulas but. Um, really drawn to that. Um, can you talk a little bit more, like, uh, as far as uh, you're talking about environments that are, you know, dark enough to be able to see out and then try to capture uh, those images? And you described that moment when you when you saw that and you caught that. Um, uh, can you can you just talk a little bit more about um, how that works? I've never done it before, and I know a lot of people haven't really tried to do it. Um, what's been your experience with the, as you describe as star photography? Yeah, um, basically, I started knowing nothing about it, um, and I knew that one of the best places to do it was Great Basin National Park, which is right on the border of Nevada and Utah. Um, and I knew that I was, you know, leaving Nevada. Um, it was just a matter of time. So I really took that last year to, you know, do all of the hikes that I wanted to do and really um, get the full experience of Nevada before I moved on. And I, I still go back. It's still um, home. Um, but I just really wanted to soak it up as long as I could. So um, I went to Great Basin National Park. I think it was September or so of 2014, um, and I just gave it a shot. So you you set up your camera on a tripod, you open the aperture, um, which is the, the hole that lets light in um, as wide as possible. Um, you figure out the focus by trial and error, and you just um, let it go for 10 seconds, 15 seconds, 20 seconds. Um, there's a limit. Um, in terms of the shutter speed um, before it starts to trail um, and the stars, you know, they move. So um, they, they're not dots anymore, but little dashes. So unless you're intentional about that, you want to avoid it. Um, so I drove to this, I drove up and down this really windy mountain road at like 1130 at night. And I, I had like gas station Lunchables with me that I was stress eating at the same time. <laughs> um, and every spot was just like super windy and scary. So I eventually um, turned around and found this really sort of open space that was like a, a ranching exhibit. And I got out of the car um, after my eyes had adjusted to the light and I was just really struck by not only how purely dark it was, but also how purely quiet. 
that's something that really struck me that I didn't expect to strike me because it's like being in outer space. You hear absolutely nothing. It's like being in a vacuum. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I took that in for a little bit and just started experimenting with, you know, focus and shutter speed and all of that stuff. And like I said, those first photos were <laughs> objectively not good. Um, but I got just a little bit of the Milky Way before the moon rose, because that's another thing. You have to kind of get the timing right in terms of moon phases and weather. So there are resources for all of that. Um, you can't just go out there at any time and expect to get really clear photos. Um, so, yeah, I got the slightest bit of the Milky Way, and I was just really, really thrilled by it and, you know, the possibility of what it would look like if I were actually good at this. So um, that sort of thing is really exciting to me. Like it, it's exciting to suck at something because you know you can master it sometime. Well, the, and the main question for the show is why is there something rather than nothing? Did you get, do you have an answer for that? And do you have an answer that, <laughs> comes, that comes from your experience there? I have to ask it now. I don't, I don't, I have no idea. Um, but... I guess the best answer I have is so, you know, we can destroy it and go back to nothing. Um, it'd be really boring otherwise for there to be nothing. So, you know, maybe we're in the matrix or a big video game and we just have to try to keep ourselves and our planet alive as long as we can and just start over again. That's a completely legitimate uh, <laughs> and, and useful answer. Um, it, it, I just I felt I had to I had to ask it at that and and just uh, just a bit more on that. Um, of course, you could do that in it, it's a good environment. You had mentioned to do that in Oregon, I believe, probably Southern Oregon or Eastern Oregon, as far as doing the star photography. Um, basically anywhere um, south of the Dalles. So I usually go east and south. Um, yeah, Condon is wonderful. The Alvar Desert is the best I've ever seen for this sort of thing. So, and I'm still not done exploring it. I've been here for five years and I feel like there's still so much more I haven't covered. And, and I had, I had um, mentioned to you just a bit before, you know, prior to, you know, our recording here, um, that I saw within a, a lot of your images, a lot of your photography, a lot of stuff that you have on Instagram that you have, I, I felt the particular aesthetic that was striking, um, with a dark background and colors drawn out in in the foreground is very noticeable and um, very exciting in in general. Now, I think you shuddered a little bit at you know describing an aesthetic, but I mean, would you take a stab at you know you know with if, with what I'm seeing or or what you're trying? Um, it's funny you ask that because I I don't know that I have a particular style anymore. Um, I mean, I'm obviously drawn to anything dark and moody that, and that tends to be the default and has, you know, historically been my, my shtick. Um, but especially in the last year or so, I've started to feel a little bit itchy and boxed in by all of that. Um, I really admire and sometimes kind of envy people who just, you know, they pick a lane and they stay there. Um, so I started experimenting with more bold and graphic styles a little bit um, and just sort of, you know, anytime I travel, I obviously take photos and there, there's no 
you're not controlling the environment and you're not controlling the aesthetic. So it's just, is what it is, you know? So, um, again, yeah, that said, uh, I haven't created personal work in a long time. Um, but before I had my little identity crisis and started experimenting with other things, um, I've really developed something that I, I miss, which is, um, you know, dark moody photography with some elements of illustration thrown in there. Um, or I guess if it's video, it's called rotoscoping, but it's, you know, uh, an image with, um, lines drawn into it. Okay. Um, some shading, some color, if you're into that, but I usually just do like little white lines and sometimes it's subtle and sometimes it's not, but that was something that really felt unique to me and you know my creative friends encouraged me to continue that because it's not something that we've seen much of so at some point I'll probably get my shit together and do lots more of that in 2020 um but yeah I would say that my my default is sort of dark and moody and I'm just trying to find ways to make it interesting yeah yeah well and 2020 is going to be the year so <laughs> yeah um year of vision right 2020 uh, yeah it's it's a big it's a big year um so uh back to heart creative and the environment uh, that you uh, that you work in a question that i haven't asked in a few episodes but i really like um i'd really like your thinking on it is um, is is there a duty, or do you feel there's a duty for artists to 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 create or to and or help mentor other artists? Like, is there an affirmative duty uh, that you think artists have or creative types? Yeah, um, I don't know if it's as much of a duty as a natural byproduct of creativity. Um, I think people are inherently creative and we see that mostly when we're children right but I think people inherently want to create and I know that every time you know I go to fine art museum like I said I used to draw and paint when I was a kid much more and every time I see other people doing that I get this overwhelming sense of oh my god why don't I do this every day this is so great and you can do so much with it and I just feel really inspired and excited by it I don't really follow through um, but I, I do think that it's it's an infectious thing, and I do think that it just happens naturally. I think people are inherently creative. Uh, yeah, and that's that's one of the pieces that I think has been interesting in exploring this in this podcast is you know using questions to kind of interrogate. Um, you know, some of these larger questions about why we're doing this stuff or, you know, what's behind it or is it a natural um, uh, development? Um, but do you have a well, let's talk about, you know, spe specifically about art and we've been talking artists. I mean, do you have a, a definition of art um, or what do you see as art? Um. I don't know that I'm an artist all the time. I think I have an artistic job. Um, but to me, art is not commercial. And what I do is inherently commercial, you know, because I got to pay the bills. <laughs> um, so I think art is anything that goes beyond serving some kind of practical purpose. Um, you know, in the way that a building can be art if it's, you know, designed with intention and aesthetics. Um, it obviously goes beyond serving its purpose of, you know, housing things and people. 
and therefore it becomes architecture and therefore it becomes art. Um, and, you know, sometimes, as in the case of what I do for a living, the art is the practical purpose because you're using pretty imagery to sell things. And you could argue that it isn't art anymore. You know, and there's a difference between being artful and artistic and being an artist. Like, I have an artistic job, but I don't see that as art. Um, I really love what I do and I'm lucky to do it, but I have no delusions about you know, what it means and what it doesn't mean. Um, it's beholden to something else, you know, commercial purposes and clients and ROIs and all of that stuff. And it can be really beautiful and have a different kind of value. But I don't think that true art is created for any commercial purpose. Um, and if there's one thing that I feel as a defining characteristic, it's probably that. Yeah. And, and you, you, you bring up a lot of, a lot of, uh, interesting, uh, questions and problems. I mean, I think one of the things when, uh, when we look to value art, you know, say in a capitalist society is, you know, how much, you know, how much did it sell for, right? Like, and, mm-hmm. you know, what, what's the record price for a painting of, of this sort? And I think what I like to, one of the reasons why I like to ask these questions, because if, if we take away some of those components, you know, how do we create value, right? Like, how mm-hmm. is it valuable? Is it a valuable work of art in, what if it was given away, you know, what if it was traded, you know, or in, I, I think, I think it, it becomes a lot more problematic once you take into account, you know, some economic questions about answering the question, what is art? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it, it combines so many different things like, you know, skills, is it executed well and aesthetics, does it look good? And then there's originality. And then I guess a a much more difficult thing to gauge, which is like purity of intention. Like, why did you create this? And is it for a commercial purpose? And it's okay if it is. um, But, you know, that's probably just a handful of ingredients you may or may not have in whatever you're creating. You know, all four of those is really truly something special, but it doesn't mean that having, you know, one or two or three of those components isn't worth anything. Like something can be executed really well and look really beautiful, but it's created to market something. In which case, it, you know, it's it's worthwhile and it's valuable, but it's, I don't know if it's art. Yeah, and I, I think you bring that component of, uh, you know, there's the object itself and the intention uh, behind mm-hmm. it really plays into it. Um, we're talking with Dangwala Lekavachuta, and she, um, uh, again, is the creative um, uh, director at Heart Creative. Uh, talked about photography and, uh, um, and and hinted at some of the videography uh, you do, and uh, been exploring these artistic questions. Um, if if you if you could if you could pick somebody that you wanted to answer these questions that I've asked you an artist, um, who, who would you pick? Who would you want to hear these answers from? Oh, um, like people who inspire me maybe. Yeah. Um, I really love Alexa Mead's work. Um, she does some really, really trippy things with live action paintings that just look out of this world. Um, I love her. 
Um, there's also a woman I follow on Twitter and Instagram. Her name is Sarah McGonigal, who's this amazing shape-shifting uh, makeup artist and photographer. So she creates these entire sets and worlds that are inspired by, um, you know, our pop culture, movies, TV, um, and she she models, she creates her own makeup looks and builds her own sets, takes the photographs and edits them herself, and is just a really cr true creative wonder. So um, those are two people that I'm following closely these days and I'm really inspired by. I'd like, yeah, and I've started asking, uh, you know, that question. I think uh, folks um, in, in talking to artists and creatives, sometimes these larger conceptual questions are ones that they don't, they don't necessarily get a chance to get at. Um, so mm -hmm. I think sometimes I'm able to have some great conversations with folks who maybe sometimes might be like a little bit worn out by standard questions, but actually like, you know, um, you know, these questions. And, uh, so, um, and I, I actually really like to hear, um, from folks who create and, you know, who inspires and who impacts them. Cause it, I see it just kind of like these threads and webs that come out of the work that I, yeah. that, 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 that I try to do. Um, so, uh, one more final question is very, very open-ended. Um, uh, and it's, it's really for l the listeners. Um, what are the best ways, um, to connect with the things that you do, the work that you do, um, uh, and you know how how can people connect with uh, with those pieces or uh, the work that you do? Yeah, um, I don't have that much time to create personal work these days, but I'm hoping to change that. Like I said, um, so I'm on Instagram. Uh, it's just my first name, Danguala, and my agency is Heart Creative, and we are at HeartCreative.co on Instagram. Um, so yeah, yeah, check it out. Uh, Don Guala, it's been so great um, to talk to you, and I really wanted to um, thank you for your time. And um, there's a lot of, uh, particularly with the star photography and some of the things that you brought up um, that uh, I'm really interested in taking a closer look at now. And I hope uh, everybody that's listening kind of, you know, will have that same, you know, same impact on, on others. But I wanted to thank you for your time and um for joining uh something rather than nothing podcast of course thank you so much have a great night thank you you too thanks again you are listening to something rather than nothing 